Welcome to On The Rise Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Hello and welcome to On The Rise Podcast. My name is Sam Donsick alongside my co-host, Evan Brown. Before we get started, On The Rise Podcast is now streaming on MidtownRadio.ca Saturdays at 10 a.m. Our topics for today's episode are Mike Trout's status for 2020, Toronto retaining agreement with first-rounder Austin Martin, the NFLPA uh, being against some preseason games amid COVID-19, Cam Newton signing with the Patriots, uh, J.J. Reddick's uncomfortableness with the return-to-play format, and the finally-picked hub cities in the NHL, Toronto and Edmonton. Let's begin in the NFL regarding some pretty recent news between the NFLPA and the league that the NFL Players Association is against preseason games amid amid COVID-19. The league reportedly proposed a two-game preseason. So the question is, should the league cut preseason games from the yearly schedule due to the virus to reduce the amount of games that they're actually going to play? And the second question is, how many regular season games should they actually play? Because the NFL only plays 16 or – now, actually, this year it's going to be 17 weeks, so they're going to play actually. They're going to actually play 16. Uh, or they're going to play 17 games. I mean, they're actually going to play 17 games. So the question is, yeah, like should the league cut preseason games from the yearly schedule? Answer that first, then I'll. Uh, it's tough, honestly, because yes, you do want to make sure you want to reduce the chances of something spreading as much as possible. Uh, and the best way to do that is have less games, obviously. But for a lot of the teams, yes, you can have training camps before a season starts, but without actually getting in preseason games, teams, A, can't make some tough decisions on who they think in game-ready action will make the team, will make the biggest impact, won't make an impact. But as well, these players need full-on game action. Like, you can have as many training camps and as as many scrimmage games as you want, but it's not going to be the full-fledged thing. And the preseason games for any sport are critical because it tells the team which players want to perform, which players can perform, which players can't perform, and which players are ready to either make the jump or aren't ready to play for the team yet. Like, there are so many different factors of preseason games, and I don't think you can cut them from a schedule. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree because the preseason games are not only important for the coaches, but it's also important for those players who are wanting to make the squad, to make the 53-man cut. And it's like if you're a player who's been undrafted, like who's, who went undrafted and signed in the preseason or signed a contract like a like a whatever it is like 10-day contract or like a minimum contract just to be on the team for the preseason to see if you can make it onto the 53-man squad – then those games are where you show, like, if you watch any preseason game, the, starter play for, the starters play for, like, a quarter, maybe half a quarter, then it's all the backups and the third strings and the fourth strings because they need to show their worth and they need to say, hey, I deserve a spot on that roster because I can be a star athlete. Or, if, like, if Tom Brady goes down, then I'm your man or something like that. They're there because they want to prove themselves. So cutting the preseason games, yes, it would reduce the amount of, games that you're actually going to play in the, the reduce the, um, the, the contact between players, but you still need at least probably the two game preseason. I don't mind. Two games is good enough. You have one, two. Yeah. That's, it's good enough. It's a good compromise. If the NFLPA is like totally against preseason games, well then, okay. Like that's basically saying, okay, well we're going to have training games and you're going to train, but then there's going to be no preseason games and you're going to go in week one. And you're going to see how you do and let us know if you still want preseason games. Because also, 
veteran players still need preseason games to get into the flow of things. Those preseason games, yeah. like, wake them up saying, like, yeah, you can have as many, like you said, how many training camps or scrimmages, but you're not going to be ready for a week one primetime game even. It could be a Thursday night game if you do not have preseason games. So in my mind, the NFLPA is in the wrong here of reportedly against being against preseason games. The league, on the league side, at least you have a two-game preseason wouldn't be that bad. It reduces the contact. Maybe have it in a certain area that's low, like uh, low in the numbers and regarding COVID and stuff. Um, it's going to be interesting as well. But regarding my second question is that not really how many games, but should the NFL cut any regular season games? Should they shorten the season like other leagues have? Like the MLB has, like the N- or the NBA has changed their format, and so has the NHL. Obviously, they're in the playoffs. But should the N- NFL cut their regular season any way to shorten it to reduce maybe travel, to like maybe change location. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, one thing as well with the like NFLPAs like being against preseason games as well before I get into that um, is, yes, you're trying to protect your players, but if you're the Players Association, you also know that players need those preseason games to either prove themselves or get them ready for the season. So that, mm-hmm. that, that point didn't really make sense to me. Yes, they can. they are about player safety, but they're also about the players being prepared for games but uh, as for how many regular seasons and if they should cut them personally I think the NFL is at the biggest advantage for the for the, uh, among the sports leagues right now because they have the time and space to make decisions they have times to come to agreements they have times to plan out everything uh, before their season actually starts a lot of these seasons were forced to go uh, a lot of these leagues were forced to move quickly uh, in deciding when they can return to play but with the NFL they're in the off season right now. They're dealing with pretty much their average timeline right now. Yes, things some things were to change, but right now they're in the off season and they have the time to fix the schedule. But for me, I think depending on what numbers are like in certain uh, states at the time that they wish to return and have some of these preseason games, that is when I think they are going to have to make the biggest decisions about the games. Personally, I think the NFL season is almost too short enough as it is like 17 games is still a very small sample size for a season and yes one could argue football games are a lot harder on the body a lot more injuries Mm -hmm. yada yada but at the same time it is such a small sample size already that if you shorten it uh, shorten it down to an eight eight game season say they cut the league in half for some reason Mm -hmm. uh and it's an eight game season which is ridiculous then some teams could easily if they get the right schedule could easily vault into first place in their division and when in a normal season they wouldn't really be in that position right like you could have a lot easier matchups depending on your division uh in a lot tighter of a schedule so I think maybe the NFL it'll all depend on when the season restarts obviously when the when opening day is but I think and what like the current climate is but right now I think they should try to plan it so that they have all their all 17 games this season I think they should try to focus on having a full season they should try to focus on um getting in all the games because maybe you can shred one or two but if you shave more than that uh it's going to be tough to get a proper season in in my opinion yeah I definitely agree I don't think the NFL in regards to my question about cutting the games if they would I think more just maybe they might shave one or two off or they might shave, like if they cut down the two preseason games, they might cut down to a 15 game regular, regular season um, with one bye week. So they play 14 games, but they have like a 15 week schedule or like, or a 16 week schedule, but they play 15 games. 
Um, and that's still, yeah, the NFL, I think the one thing about the NFL is they do have a lot of time to think about this and they have a lot of time to get together and make in, informed decisions. So I think what the NFL should do is they should use this time to their advantage, make informed decisions, come together and decide what is the best for the safety of our players, what is the best for our fan enjoyment, how much money. Because also they're thinking about a money thing as well, right? So if you if you – if you cut preseason games, that also, yeah, no, I guess fans wouldn't be really there, but it's still, I guess, maybe you can maybe have like 25% fans and stuff. So it just cuts down on overall profits from TV deals. If you know, if you don't have preseason games, if you don't have like a Hall of Fame game per se, if you're only going to have regular season games. So I think the the NFL is not going to maybe fully cut down. Like they're, they wouldn't cut their season in half. They might shave one or two games off and that still allows – for teams to be to still go six and zero, but then they could also still fall down, and they could go, they could finish the season like nine and seven or whatever, because they have a terrible second half of their season or whatever it is. And that's kind of the way that the, the way that makes sense to me is the best way for the NFL to do it. So they have, they have a lot of time to do it. They have a lot of time to come together to make an informed decision, and I think they'll make the right decision. Alrighty, moving on over into some other news regarding Cam Newton and the Patriots. Cam Newton has signed a one-year deal with the Patriots. Now, it hasn't really been fully disclosed, but reportedly he's supposed to make about half a million dollars. But it's a heavy incentive-based deal based on his performance and perks and stuff. So my question is, how much of an impact can Cam make on the Patriots? Now, obviously, Cam Newton being a bit injury-riddled the past few seasons, he's not as—he's not the same quarterback he was in 2015 when he went 15-1 and with the Carolina Panthers. He had that MVP season. But I still think he's a dominant force. He's a massive – he's like, what, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, like, he's a big hes a big quarterback, and he's hard to tackle. So um, that's kind of my question. How much of an impact can Cam make for the Patriots? See – this is my thing with the signing because I thought it was a bit it was a bit interesting for the Patriots to make this decision. Uh, we were talking about before the show, uh, uh, there was like almost a carousel of quarterbacks between the Patriots, Buccaneers, Saints, and Panthers in regards to quarterback switching. Mm-hmm. But with Cam, with this deal with Cam Newton for the Patriots, I, it really confused me because I agree that Cam Newton isn't what he once was, and but he could still make an impact easily on a team that was looking for a quarterback. But uh, my problem is with this signing is the fact that Cam Newton, while injury riddled, is a number one quarterback. He is supposed to be a guy who can bring you to a playoff series. Yes, he's not in his MVP days, but he still can easily bring a team like the Panthers he did before or like the Patriots. He could easily have brought them to the playoffs um, given the right, uh, given the right guys. But with the Patriots, I was surprised they made this deal because a They've announced that he still has to fight for the starting job, which I thought was quite interesting. He still yeah. isn't going to be the starter, which Cam Newton is easily a starting caliber quarterback. So I don't understand that part of it. But also, if the Patriots are worried about, like, they got Cam Newton, great. They have a quarterback now. Uh, after everybody was saying, oh, they didn't have a quarterback, oh, they should have drafted a quarterback. But if I'm the Patriots right now, I just lost my number one quarterback in Tom Brady. I didn't draft a young quarterback at the dead, uh, at the at the draft, and I mean, I have two decently young quarterbacks as backup, but they're not going to well, be. Brian Hoyer would be up there in age. I think Derek Jerry's actually, yeah. the younger one. Brian Hoyer is probably older than Cam Newton, actually. I think. Oh, but well, yeah, yeah. I don't know the 
third string quarterbacks for the Patriots that well. But either way, um, they don't have a young quarterback depth right now. And if I were the Patriots, and if I'm the Patriots, sorry, if I'm worrying about what the fans are going to think, like with Cam Newton, it's clear that they're trying to make an impact now. They want to get him on a one-year deal. They want to see if they can continue their success almost with a slightly lesser version of Tom Brady because Cam Cam Newton is still a was a very good quarterback and is still a decent quarterback if he can stay healthy but my problem with the signing is just basically it didn't make sense that the Patriots went out and got a veteran quarterback that can help them win now when they don't really have the guys around them and look like they're on the way out a lot of the fans were saying that they should now that they've lost Tom Brady go into a rebuild draft young draft a nice young quarterback to help build for the future and the fans were okay with that. They wanted that. After so many years of winning, they should be okay with going into a rebuild and even, God forbid, tank for a year. Um, but instead, they decide, nope, we're not going to draft young. And we're going to go out and get veteran quarterback Cam Newton for a year to try and, I don't know, fix it for a year? Like, to me, in my mind, this means the Patriots are going for a, if in a full 16-game season, 8-8. Eight and eight. It means they're trying to go eight and eight for some reason. They're trying to win a few games, but they're not trying to be bad enough to go for a high draft pick. It it really confused me this deal. Uh, I think the Patriots should have just drafted Young uh, at the at the draft, and I don't know why they would want a veteran quarterback in Cam Newton when they clearly are on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs and are an older team right now. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think the signing of Cam Newton really confused me and stuff because one, yeah, like Cam Newton is much more of a different personality than Tom Brady that fits in with like, then he's a polar opposite to Tom Brady in regards to he's very, I would say he's a type A personality guy. He's like a Rob Gronkowski and Rob Gronkowski did well in the Patriots because of the help of Bill Belichick. So I think that he's maybe per, per his, you can't forget about Cam Newton's personality that that's got to get contained first. Then you've got to deal with everything. And I think as well, the Patriots just didn't do well this off season in regards to making their team better. They signed Cam Newton they got Jared, I think they, well, Jared Sidham was already in the system and stuff. They didn't really draft too many good players um, other than I think the ones, the one safety they got. But other than that, they didn't really draft young. They didn't make a major splash in the draft to make a difference right now. And I'm confused because it's like, what is your plan? Like New England doesn't really have a plan in my mind. They don't, they kind of just signed Cam Newton because they said, hey, we need a quarterback. But they didn't even give him the starting job. So my question is, why are you bringing in Cam Newton on a half-a-million-dollar deal, heavy incentive-based deal in regards to money, for him to fight for the starting job with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer? In my mind, really what they should have done is use Jared Stidham as your quarterback. I know he seems like young and inexperienced and stuff, but I think under the right coaching with the right players, you can make him great, but it's going to take a couple of years. It took Tom Brady a couple of years and stuff to like, he, yes, he was an amazing player, but there was also a reason why he was a six, he was a sixth round draft pick because it took him a few years to develop in the system uh, with, with Bill Belichick. So I think Jared Stidham in my mind would be the right path to go down and draft, build around Jared Stidham. And he is the, I wouldn't say the Tom Brady 2.0, but he's the new Tom Brady that you're going to mold into a hall of fame quarterback. If Bill Belichick still has it in him, that's if I mind, if I'm the Patriots, but 
I wouldn't mind tanking for a year just to get some draft picks just to improve the team because right now they didn't tank. They didn't get really anyone else to help them. And I think that signing Cam Newton really didn't make much of a difference of an impact. And I think they didn't make the right choice in regards to signing him because I think that personality, yes, you know, Bill Belichick could contain it, but it's really different than what Rob Gudkowski was, his whole persona. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to control Cam Newton and his personality, unless he's somehow changed magically into this very mature quarterback. But I still think he's a little more of a type A personality guy. What are your thoughts there? Patriots need to understand that they are allowed to rebuild. They are allowed to take a, take a year off or two to really tank, build up their young depth again, and be bad for a year. They have to understand that they have to tank for a year. They have to understand that they are going to be bad. They are an aging team. They need to get younger. They need to build up the depth more. And they need to rebuild what it was because you lost your star player in, in Tom Brady. Gronk isn't there anymore. You don't have the Patriots of old where they are winning championships every year, right? You have to understand that you have to take a step back and look at it and say, okay, what's best for us right now is to build for the future and not try to almost grasp onto what success we have left and try to makeshift together a few wins for a year. You can honestly take a step back and tank for a year. The fans will be fine with it. They won't riot in the streets. They've had so many years of his success and they would understand if it's now that they lost Tom Brady that, okay, we can take a step back. We can focus on building towards the future. Definitely. Alrighty, that wraps up our NFL discussion regarding the NFL Players Association Association being against preseason games amid COVID-19 and discussing the Cam Newton signing, signing with the Patriots. Moving on over into other news in the MLB, Mike, Mike Trout is reportedly unsure about playing in 2020 this year, says that family's health is top priority. So the question I propose to you, should players be questioning the return to play for the MLB? See, I think Mike Trout is reasonable in being unsure about playing in 2020. I think family is uh, going to be at the forefront of 99% of the players' mind, if not 100%. Uh, I think their focus is going to be on their own health amid this uh, pandemic. And I mean, yes, the MLB can do everything in their power to make testing and to try to contain COVID-19 to make sure that all their players are safe, but they can't guarantee anything. And players are reasonable in being unsure. And because you never know what can happen, right? What if one player breaks the quarantine and then there's suddenly an outbreak among teams and then they spread it to another team, right? Anybody can have the, uh, can get the virus. It is that contagious and it spreads like wildfire, right? So players can be concerned, especially in the climate that is America right now, uh, where COVID-19 is really catching fire, right? Like there are many places where there are exponential growth uh, such as Florida and Cal uh, California, like there is a lot of cases right now in America and it's reasonable to be unsure about trying to play this year. And Mike Trout for one of the best players in the game right now, if not the best in Mike Trout to come out and say that he is unsure about playing baseball, the sport that he has put so much time, effort and love into that it's, it's reasonable. It should be reasonable for all the players to be concerned right now. And that's why I think, uh, the MLB will have to try to convince some of the players as best as they can to uh, to make it 100% safe. I would definitely agree, 100%. 
the N or with like not like with the MLB, but with any league right now, and we'll talk about later about other players as well backing out of playing, is that in the United States right now, the COVID numbers are getting worse and worse every day. It is growing exponentially, not linear, it is growing exponentially. Like the other day, I was looking at some of the numbers and stuff. It's like 40, 50,000 cases every day in regards to every, and the case increase is like four to 5,000 every day and stuff in regards to the actual growth between day to day. So when you look at those numbers and you look at the hotspots of possibly where they're going to be playing, you can most certainly say, I would agree, every player should be unsure about playing in 2020 and their family's health should be their top priority because the families that you, is, is what you love, right? You love baseball as much as you want to play, but family should be number one in regards to staying healthy. And if the players' health are coming to concerns here, and they should be, because with the United States right now, it is getting worse and worse with anything. And I honestly think that I highly, if a lot of star players like Mike Trout and other players in different leagues are backing out because they have health concerns, some of the other guys saying, you know what, if he's doing it, then maybe I won't do it because, you know, he's a big star and he, he got in, he's been in the league for a number of years and stuff, and they might follow suit. And that might cause a domino effect. And yes, it wouldn't be good because we want live sports back. We want, we need things to talk about. We need games to talk about. We need more news. But right now, the, the number one concern for people, the number one priority is people's health in the world in regards to everywhere, between Canada, U.S., Mexico, anywhere in the world, people's health right now is concerned. People want sports back because they want a, they want a distraction, right? They don't, they don't want to worry about the COVID-19. If sports were on right now, people wouldn't be looking at the COVID-19 numbers in the United States. Everything would be all like up, and like sweet and happy and stuff, you know, rainbows and lollipops, as they say. But they, they don't have sports, so they're kind of gluing to this COVID-19 and I think right now, so should players should be concerned and they have the right to be concerned, questioning the return to play in my mind. Yeah, for sure. I think that it is tough for any player to be right now that I feel 100% safe going into this. I think I put my full trust in the MLB and I put full trust in every other player in the league among the hundreds that nobody will break quarantine and that nobody will be, uh, nobody will catch it and nothing and anything like that. And, I think that family's health and their own personal health is their top priority right now. And I can, I think everybody should respect their decision if they don't feel safe playing. And like you said, there could be a domino effect. And I think as much as that would suck for the MLB, I think it is reasonable and you can't really tell a guy to go out and risk his career, his life and his family's life to play baseball right now or any sport. And I think that that is, tough for the players to come to a decision to but and tough for us to understand but it is reasonable and I think that's we're going to be hearing about more and more players and probably some bigger name stars like Mike Trout who will back out and say that they aren't going to go now Mike Trout hasn't said that he is backing out but being unsure is reasonable I think for a lot of the players right now definitely Alrighty, moving on into some other news regarding the Toronto Blue Jays. The Toronto Blue Jays reportedly have reached an agreement with the 2021st rounder, Austin Martin. Now, the deal hasn't reportedly been fully, the, the details of the deal hasn't been fully released, but apparently the slot value of the player is worth over $6 million. So the question is, how quickly can he help the Blue Jays in regards to the success of possibly playing in 2020 or 2021, whatever it is, when we do return? I don't think, yeah, I don't think he'll be helping like right away, but I do think he can help uh, within the next, I, I'd give him two years. I think you give him one full year in the minors next year when 
the minor leagues are back because they have been canceled for this season. Mm-hmm. But you give them uh, one year next year, either a, uh, probably start them out at high A uh, or maybe even double A. Uh, let them get used to the feel of big league games. Uh, well, as big big league games, quote unquote, playing in the minors, and then see what he's like come spring training uh, two years from now. I think he could easily. Uh, uh, help out the Jays. He is a very, uh, very good-looking young player. Uh, he is a very offensive player. I think he can easily uh, come up through the system very quickly. I think he's versatile. I think he is going to be a young star and a very good pick for the Jays. I've already talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the draft yeah. happened, but I think he can easily help the Jays in the next uh, two years. I think you give him a bit time to uh, sort of grow his potential in the minors, gain some extra skills, gain some experience. And then I think you could easily see what he's like in spring training. I think they may even bring him into spring training next year if it happens and just give him a taste against big league pitching, giving him a taste of playing big league ball. And then I think you can easily have him in two years from now. And I think he will make a big impact when he eventually comes, as long as he doesn't deal with any sort of injuries, which it doesn't appear like it will. Obviously you can't predict things, but, uh, I think he can make an impact and I think that contract is pretty good and I'm excited to see what he can do in a Blue Jays uniform when the time comes. I don't think he'll be added to the 60, uh, 60 man roster for the return to play, but I think easily um, once he has some time to grow his potential in the minor league system, I think he can make an impact sooner rather than later with the Blue Jays. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think with all new draft picks, they don't really, it's very rare that a draft pick and that even despite being a first rounder, fifth overall pick, that they would make the 60-man roster their first year. Um, I think they're probably going to play a little, like obviously with the minor leagues being canceled, they're not, they're, uh, they're, he, he would not be playing there, but maybe next year he will be playing some AAA or some AA in Buffalo. Uh, or yeah, AAA in Buffalo, and then maybe up to the minor league or up to minor leagues, and then maybe making a start in a major league game. But the big thing with like having um, a new player like this or having a young player is they have to develop, they have to get used to the system, they have to get used to uh, everything that's going on. And obviously, not potentially having fans there um, is going to be, I guess, less of a stressor for them because I think a lot of stress that comes from being a a young first rounder is the pressure from the fans, the pressure from the organization to do well. But I think with everything that's going on right now, I think the pressure will be a bit off next year when he does come to play, either be in the minor leagues or in the major leagues without possibly fans being there or if it's only 50%. So that's kind of like, I'm taking that view of like how much, uh, how much pressure is really on him to do well, because whenever in my mind, if I was like the blue Jays organization and we select you fifth overall, you're destined to make some impact pretty quickly within the first two years. And if not, then it's like you need to make the right decision, then some decisions that you made. Because we've seen in any sport as well, sometimes the first rounders, even number number one overall picks, don't end up being stars. They end up being bust. Not saying Austin Martin will be. He looks looks like a great star. He's got a lot of potential. And I'm super excited for him to be playing uh, with the Blue Jays. Would you agree? I am very excited to see him play. I think he can be a very versatile star in this league. I think um, the Blue Jays are doing the all the right moves right now. They're building a young core, and I'm excited to see what the Blue Jays will be in the future. I think they are a very young team that will be uh, with a few more aids of pitching in the next few years. Obviously, with the signing of Fusion Ryu, that was huge. But if we can build up some of these young pitchers alongside Nate Pearson and Alec Manoa, I think this team is going to be very good for years to come soon. And I th- am, I'm excited as a Jays fan because I've uh, a, lot of the, a lot of younger Jays fans wouldn't have seen it, but 
back when the Jays had those really ugly, uh, like, black uniforms with the weird jersey. Like, that era was kind of a bad one for Blue Jays fans. But then, obviously, with Jose Bautista and the bat flip year and stuff like that, we got a little taste of what could possibly uh, could have come. And now I think Blue Jays uh, fans are ready to get back to postseason baseball now that we've gone through the, a very short rebuild. And I, am, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans are excited to get back into their winning ways. And I think that can easily be shown off in the next few years. Definitely would agree. Alrighty, that wraps up our MLD, MLB discussion regarding Mike Trout reportedly being unsure about playing in 2020 amid his family's health being a top priority, and regarding the Toronto reportedly reaching agreement with 2020 first rounder Austin Martin. Welcome back to On the Rise podcast. Moving on, moving on over into some NBA news regarding the New Orleans player JJ Reddick saying that the players have no comfort level, no comfort level in returning to play. Similar to Mike Trout being unsure, so does uh, JJ Reddick having some concerns. For other NBA players as well have no comfort in level, no comfort level in returning to play. So what does this mean for the NBA? How will this affect the return to play the, for the NBA? Because in my mind. Whenever you have a star player like J.J. Redick and other players as well that have also backed out, we'll uh, mention Victor Oladipo being uh, potentially – he's now officially sitting out of the NBA season. It's, it's, it's not good for the NBA because it's, it shows that they have concern. It shows that the NBA hasn't properly made the right amount of adjustments. And it's hard because you're going into Orlando, Florida, where there is a hot spot. So players are already going to be concerned with growing numbers of eight to 9,000 or like 5,000 plus cases a day. So I think what it means for the NBA is that the NBA seriously needs to reconsider where their bubble is. And if they need to move it, to a different city. Now, obviously, they've got everything set up in Orlando, and Adam Silver is saying, yes, it's still a concern. Like, we're still concerned for players. We're still going to care for the players. But in my mind, if you really care for the players, you need to find a different bubble spot or a different – I can't use the word bubble, but like a different area where you can have your little bubble spot to, to play games and stuff where all the NBA players can come in. With players like J.J. Redick and Victor Adebo and a number of other players sitting out or being unsure in any way, saying, you know what, I don't feel – comfortable returning to play. They, they have the right to do that because their health is their number one priority, staying healthy, right? They do not want to go into the NBA bubble despite, you know, all the players that tested positive staying home, but you're still not sure. And if you do catch COVID, that's going to affect like you possibly further down. We've talked about it before, further down in your career regarding it being a respiratory sickness in your lungs and stuff. And you need strong lungs as a basketball player because you're running down up and down the court constantly. You're using your cardio fast you need strong cardio endurance. And if you don't have that because you had COVID for like a month because you went to return to play, to play and to play in the NBA, to make some money for the NBA and for yourself as well. Um, it just doesn't seem like the right move. So in my mind, it, it, it's going to affect the NBA and it's going to make them possibly make some changes to the potential 2020 season. What are your thoughts? I think, uh, like we were saying before, uh, it is just for players to not be comfortable with returning to play with the current climate. And I can understand why Victor would uh, opt out. I mean, the Pacers, um, I mean, he would have liked to be there, obviously, especially because he has missed so much time with the injury already. But I think the Pacers weren't looking to make as much noise anyways in the playoffs. That's just my thoughts. Um, as well as JJ Redick with the Pelicans, I feel like it's a lot easier for teams that feel 
that they're going up against a lot steeper of competition for them to back out. That's just my opinion. But it is also very reasonable for players to be concerned. And J.J. Redick has been a player that has spoke out a lot about uh, many different issues regarding the NBA. And it is reasonable for him to not be comfortable uh, with returning. And, I mean, it's tough for the NBA to ensure 100% safety for the players. Uh, Adam Silver has said, especially with um, uh, the current climate, like you said, like, um, it is tough for him to say they can be 100% safe, but they're still going to go through with it. And as much as, yes, I think the NBA would like to move the current uh, uh, spot uh, from Disney World away from the current hotspot in Florida, I just don't think they have the time to. I think they are just going to have to go with what they have or go with nothing at all. They don't have enough time, I think, to make drastic changes based off of where they are projecting things right now. I don't think they have enough time to switch it, and I don't think the results will be changed enough by the time uh, they will be returning to action. So I think the NBA is just going to have to deal with what they get and deal with the players that are not going to that are going to opt out of coming, um, because it obviously is a concern. It's not going to be 100%. They can't confirm that it's going to be 100% safe and it's going to be tough for players to make that decision on whether or not they will play basketball, even though they, they would be making their money. They want to be concerned about their health, obviously. So, I mean, it's going to be tough for the NBA losing these players. It's not going to be as exciting with them there, but you can understand why it makes sense for them not to go. And I think if the NBA had the option, they would want to choose a different location. But I think based off of everything they've put in place, based off of all the plans and preparations they've been doing, and based off of what the setup at Orlando looks, looks now, uh, Orlando looks like right now, because they've shown a bunch of different uh, pictures of like the courts being put together uh, for practices and stuff like that, I think the NBA is going to just have to deal with what it gets. It's going to have to deal with all the players that will opt out that don't feel comfortable. And I think it's just going to come down to which players. I, I mean, it's going to be no matter what, if a player plays, they will understand the risks. And I think the NBA is just going to have to deal with the players being concerned about what's going to happen uh, at uh, at Disney World. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the NBA, it's it's too late for them to, they have too much infrastructure, too much planning put into this return to play for Orlando. If it had happened, let's say a few weeks ago, the players were con- still addressing their concern, despite the numbers being less and less, but still growing exponentially. But I think these, these results have come out now because people are, like these comments have come out from these players because players are looking at the numbers and they're seeing the exponential growth. And it's like, it's, it's so close to the NBA return to play that the NBA is like, we wish we could move locations to, you know, make it, make it a little bit safer, but we can't because we have all this infrastructure. We have all this planning into Florida, into Orlando, everything's all set up. And it's good that they have everything. Like they've released photos and stuff. That's good because, you know, as the media, as the fans and media, we need to know, okay, what exactly is happening? And players want to know, okay, where are we staying? What exactly are the procedures in regards to health and safety? How safe are like, because obviously they can't guarantee that they're not going to get sick. Like they can't just be like, Oh, you're going to be totally fine. Like, yes, they're going to try to guarantee that as much as possible because they're in a bubble, but you cannot guarantee, you cannot tell someone say, Hey, you know what? You're not going to get COVID. You could possibly get COVID, but you're returning to play because you want to play the game that you love, which is basketball. So I think it, it won't really, it won't really affect the return to play in my mind 
because things are still going through. It just will have certain players miss without. Obviously, J.J. Redick not playing because with the Pelicans and stuff, not a huge thing. Now, if a player like LeBron or Zion or Kyle Lowry or Siakam said this, like one of the lead playoff teams that actually has a chance to win the title, this would be greater news, I think. But with the players that were saying this, who are kind of on the outside looking in regards to, it's not a huge deal. Like, yes, it's it's a deal that they're saying that they're concerned because they obviously they have no comfort level. But if a player like LeBron was to, were to say it, I think a lot more people or Giannis, people would be a lot more strong reacted to it. And they'd say, okay, you know, maybe we, sh- maybe we should try. Like, not saying that they're, they don't care for J.J. Reddick's opinion, but I'm saying if a player with more stature, more at the risk for the season were to say these comments, saying that they have comfort, they have no comfort level, or they're concerned or they're unsure, I think it would affect the NBA return to play a little bit more than J.J. Redick and Victor Aladipo being unsure or sitting out of the season. Yeah, and I think that if the NBA, if, if the league doesn't feel like it can run the bubble, I don't think they should force it. I think if it isn't safe, they should just, as much as it would suck for the fans, I think, and for the players, they would, I think they should cancel the season if absolutely necessary, mm-hmm. uh, which as much as I hate to say it, but it makes sense for the players. If it makes sense for the players' safety, I am all for it. And I mean, like you said, JJ Redick obviously is JJ Redick and not LeBron James, but I think we can kind of compare that to the stature of Mike Trout almost with the MLB, him speaking out and, and saying he isn't, he is unsure about uh, any return to play format um, for the MLB. And that's kind of the compare and contrast where there might be a, there's a bit of a bigger reaction to a a star player like Mike Trout coming out and saying that uh, rather than a player like JJ Redick, who still has a very important voice, but at the same time, isn't one of the key players that is going to be highlighted throughout the return to play. Definitely would agree. Alrighty, that wraps up our NBA discussion regarding New Orleans Pelicans player JJ Redick saying that the players have no comfort level in returning to play. Moving on over into our last topic of the day regarding the NHL. The NHL has planned uh, plans for Toronto and Edmonton instead of Vegas being uh, for being the hub cities and the memos are extremely detailed. Um, so question, is it possible for Toronto to be a hub city for the NHL return to play? Because they have been named as well, potentially as one with Edmonton, with a large number of U.S. cases growing and growing in Vegas and in other cities as well. Yeah, so Edmonton, I believe they, uh, there was also like the question of like, where would the Stanley Cup playoffs be held if, or like the Stanley Cup final be played? Because mm-hmm. uh, obviously the two conference, like the, the two conferences would mix. And I think they were saying Edmonton would be the case because Right now, I think between the two cities, I think Vegas, moving on from Vegas was very important because there is such a exponential growth there as well right now. And it definitely, with the current climate in America, it would not make sense to have it there. But it makes sense for them to have the Stanley Cup final eventually in Edmonton because Toronto is the less safe option right now. Toronto is the more risky city to have it in. And obviously, no city is 100% perfect. uh, And that's why... Uh, they had to move on from Vegas because there was such a growing number of cases. But Toronto, while there is still a large amount of cases, there is a certain level of containment there. There is much less uh, growth day to day, which I think is why they decided to go go there. But as well, they have the ability to play multiple games there at multiple different times. They have NHL level ready rinks that they can play at, that, that teams can practice on. There's plenty of hotel space there. And that's why I think Toronto was picked Yes, there is a bit of a higher risk there, 
Um, and it will be tough for the NHL to run it fully there uh, as, safe as, as safe as they can. But I think Toronto, uh, Toronto and Edmonton were the best two choices and two safest choices in my uh, mind. Vancouver would also be up there, but I think uh, with the whole news regarding how that plan kind of fell through, that's what changed things. And that's why Edmonton was selected as, um, as the hub city. But one of the things that um, I was actually talking about with uh, my dad was uh, – if the NHL really wanted to ensure as much safety as possible, and if they wanted to bring uh, hockey to places where there ain't, uh, there aren't actually players there, like uh, there isn't an NHL team there. Like they obviously want to have hometown cities where there are hockey teams there, but you could easily have had it in, for example, Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Like they could have held it in Saskatoon or something like that, where yes, there isn't a NHL team there, but they have, rinks there they have the ability to house people they have the ability to keep uh safe numbers with their low amount of cases and i think if the nhl really wanted to they could and that they should have really looked into other options like that yes they would have liked to have chosen a hub city of a home team that that is recognizable in the nhl and all that but i think it is understandable that the nhl sh could should have looked at uh, possible like a uh, possible option like a Saskatoon and Saskatchewan where there are minimal cases there are potentials for rinks available and there are minimal there is a minimal risk uh, in playing there and housing a lot of players there so that's why I mean Toronto and Edmonton I think are the best bets for uh, uh, for what the options were at the time but I think it would have been interesting for the NHL to look out of market and look at other cities where they don't have a team that realistically could be a safe option to host NHL games. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think the whole choice between the reason why they picked Toronto and Edmonton is that they're two major Canadian cities that can be recognized from across, like, you know, like by the NHL, not only, but also two major, I'd say, in regards to media publications, in regards to having Sportsnet, TSN, all the different radio stations and big thing. If you were to go to like, let's say Sask Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and you try to put TSN in there or Sportsnet or anything like that, it might be harder for them to, I guess, get into those remote areas per se, not saying it's remote area, non-remote area. But I think there's a reason why they picked a big city like Toronto. Now, of course, Toronto being the larger, having the larger number of cases and the fact that they're only still in stage one, they have not yet to move stage two, where in other parts of Ontario there is now, we're now into stage two, especially one of the region. But looking at Edmonton, Edmonton makes the most sense to have the Stanley Cup Finals being in the better situation in regards to cases. So I'm really excited that Toronto and Edmonton have been selected because I'm happy that hockey is coming to Canada and that the NHL returned to play. But the only thing that I'm a little bit worried is those borders, they're flying over them because they can't open up the borders because you open up the borders just for like a little bit of hockey players and stuff. People might, like not saying people might try to sneak through and stuff, but it's like, you don't want to open the borders, and I don't think they would. They would obviously fly just like direct, direct to um, the cities and stuff. But I think the right move, it is the right move having it based on the number of cases in the United States, especially being Vegas or in Florida, California, wherever those cities are in the United States where clearly the cases are growing exponentially and they cannot hold NHL games due to safety concerns. And I'm not surprised that possibly other leagues have looked at this, maybe not the NFL or NBA base majority be American leagues. Um, 
I think the MLB possibly, like, obviously, they, 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 they could look at being into a Canadian city if they did want to do a return to play, being that we do have a less number of cases than the United States. So it's, it's yeah. something to consider, and it's something interesting as well. I'm excited that possibly Toronto and Edmonton could be selected as cities to, for return. And I think the, the other thing as well is, like, for me personally, I feel Toronto and Edmonton were the best choices originally before everything that went on, uh, or before everything went on with the exponential cases. Because, yes, you would have central cities that would be easy for teams to fly to, such as Vegas or such as wherever in America. But personally, I think hockey is a lot bigger in Canada. And that is one thing that they – that obviously is a big factor. It, it Hockey is a very Canadian sport. And I think for me, it makes the most sense to have it in Canada. Yes, you would want a central area uh, in America where teams could kind of almost fly to a central spot and you could have um, a lot of hotel spacing and whatever. But I think once you can figure out the border situation, it would make a lot more sense to have games in Canada because the NHL and hockey is a Canadian sport. It is Canada's heart and soul. And I think compared, and I think Canadians love hockey in some cases more than Americans, in my opinion. That's just my thoughts. I'm not no, saying definitely that all. Yeah. yeah. And I think it makes more sense to have it in two Canadian cities. Uh, and once that was all figured out, I think Toronto and Edmonton were the best choices whatever fans can say Toronto bias, whatever, but it, it, it's true. There is a Toronto bias because that's where the NHL is. Yeah. The NHL is in Toronto. And of course there's going to be a Toronto bias, but it makes the most sense to have it in Toronto. It makes the most sense to have it in Edmonton. And I think they're going to be finalized as the hub cities. I don't think there's going to be any more changes. And I think it makes the most sense for the NHL to take the uh, two conferences to those, uh, to those hub cities and work from there. Definitely would agree. Alrighty, that wraps up our NHL discussion regarding the NHL plans for Toronto and Edmonton being uh, the hub cities instead of Vegas. This has been episode 42 of the On The Rise podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Be sure to check out our website, ontherisepodcast.ca and Instagram at Rise Podcast. We'd like to give thanks to all Midtown Radio listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for more great sports content.